Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, you're sure to waste a few minutes listening to what I have to say and hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll try to get that taken care of. Of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. This week I will be out of town for the live stream, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to record ahead of time and we're going to run a premiere on Wednesday night. My hope is to be um, present in the, the chat thread, to be able to respond to anything, give any commentary, do anything that you guys might want um, while the video is premiering, um, but if you don't happen to see it during that time frame, you come along afterwards, you can find all of my links uh, on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. And that is also a place to pick up these links, um, episode details, and even some one-off tasting notes. I've gotten away from that in the last few months, but I spent a good part of today uh, going out and snapping some pictures of different bottles that I need to run through to do some tastings with. And so hopefully we'll get that geared back up again. Today is April the 20th of 2020, and we're going to talk about spirits and smoke. Um, if you are if you are unfamiliar with what the international uh, symbol of April the 20th is, uh, well, then this video is probably not for you, but it is 420, folks. So we're going to talk about um, cannabis, hemp, whiskey, how that all plays a role in the state of Kentucky. Um, I don't have any pre-show anything, like I said, because I'm out of town for work and I'm recording this ahead of time, so not a whole lot has happened since the last episode. So, now that we've gotten through the intro, let's go ahead and get to the content. Cannabis has a long history in the state of Kentucky. Um, it is even said by some that it is probably the largest cash crop in the state as it sits right now. Now, we don't consider it to be the largest cash crop because it is still not legal to grow, possess, or consume in this particular state. But hemp... Uh, and a lot of the hemp that was used was cultivated from marijuana specifically and has been in this state since the 1700s. Um, so that's it's a pretty long time for a crop to exist here. Um, a, a report in 1914 with the USDA indicated that almost all of the hemp grown in the United States is from seed that is produced in Kentucky. And if you're unsure or unaware of why that is, the climate in Kentucky is climate, soil, all the conditions is pretty prime for growing marijuana specifically. Um, there have been a lot of direct correlations made between how marijuana is grown and how tobacco is grown, and they are almost like kissing cousins at this point. So the the ability to, to, to grow high quality cannabis would exist here in the state. So it would make sense that the seed stock and a large portion of the hemp would come from this particular state. It's really tough to pinpoint when cannabis became considered a drug. Um, you know, cannabis has been around for a very, 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 very long time. And when did people start saying this thing is, is different from tobacco? You got to think this is, you know, a, a different product, a different product altogether. There's a really interesting article that exists out here that sort of talks about, uh, there's, a, there's a really interesting 
piece of literature that we can uh, look at that is talking about this particular type of relationship with marijuana began. Marijuana was a huge part of Louisville, so we'll just start with Louisville, the the um, sort of the closest to the epicenter of whiskey as you can get. Um, what might have been the state's capital very early on, if it had not been for uh, some donations and some severe lobbying, but maybe the 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 commerce center of the state um, had a couple hundred years of a relationship with marijuana, specifically around hemp. You know, and so, so we're not talking about the, the potential psychoactive portion of marijuana. We're talking about the, the ability to be able to create um, ropes and using it for rope walks, for anything that you might need to. I mean, you think about anything that was going to be need to be moved, going to need to be moved or anything with, rope was going to be a big part of it. And so hemp played a big uh, role in that. But kind of pinpointing whenever that transition where, you know, marijuana cigarettes, as they were called uh, at that point in time, or muggles, uh, became a part of history, there is some in, some indication, some concern that around the 1930s is when we start seeing sort of a negative connotation that comes along with marijuana specifically. And that mirrors what's happening in the United States as a whole. We're sitting distinctly smack dab in the middle of prohibition in the United States. And, you know, the, the sort of Puritan nature that existed around prohibition um, in 1934, which is, you know, sort of right in that time slot, maybe slightly after prohibition, um, there's a federal law that takes effect that starts putting fines on the sale of marijuana um, and punishing people for participating in commerce around that particular drug, um, the immediate reaction was to give, you know, fines and jail time. And then as time progressed in time, those marijuana laws are going to become more lenient. They're going to become, um, recognized as not being nearly as dangerous as the initial thoughts were in many indications in many places where you read news and you think about news, um, Marijuana is lumped in with things like mor morphine and opium and um, the things that carry legitimate physiological problems and, and, and addiction um, becomes physical as opposed to uh, that being mental. Um, one of the things that we know biologically now is that uh, realistically, marijuana might be less harmful than tobacco and it is definitively less harmful than alcohol. And so the reason why it is illegal is largely political at this point in time. But the state of Kentucky has a super rich history with it. It has been around for quite some time. And so we're going to talk about how that plays into modern bourbon, maybe. But why are we talking about it today? Well, today is 420, and 420 is the biggest cannabis-oriented holiday of the year. It is a time when dispensaries will often have significant discounts. If you're talking about Colorado or Illinois or any other number of places, um, there are celebrations that happen on 4:20 p.m. on 4:20. Um, you know, it, it, it's a cultural phenomenon. So let's talk about how hemp, marijuana, whatever you want to call it, might have some degree of an impact on the whiskey environment. Uh, the first place to start is Whistlepig. And <laughs> one might think, hey, you know, this is a real weird uh, location to, to sort of begin. But Whistlepig launched uh, what is called the Piggyback Devil's Slide. 
Um, and what that is, is it's a limited edition line of a non-alcoholic rye. And what does that even mean? Well, non-alcoholic rye means just that, is that it is uh, a spirit that is distilled to 100% rye, it's aged, and then it is undistilled to under 0.5% ABV. One proof. We're down to one proof at this point. What happens at this point is this particular spirit, if we want to even call it that, is now infused with a hemp extract. Hemp hemp extract is going to be closer to what we understand to CBD than it is going to be to legitimate marijuana. And so hemp has become (laughs) recently re-legalized in this state as, you know, as consumers increase their consumption of CBD uh, oils and CBD-based products, the need for hemp grew as well. State of Kentucky jumps on the front end of that and says, hey, let's start growing hemp to to make it a significant cash crop here in the state. Um, And agriculturally, we can talk about what the impact of that was, and I don't know that that's necessarily for this particular episode. Maybe it is a conversation whenever we finally get down the path to um, the the Whistle Pig Piggybacks Devil Full Send, which is going to be a distilled, undistilled rye that is infused with THC liquid at that point. Um, so the the intent of this is to be able to take a spirit that you might uh, thoroughly enjoy the flavor of, remove the alcohol from it, and add in for CBD's state something that is slightly more therapeutic, and for THC's situation something that has a completely different impact than what we are traditionally used to experiencing with whiskey specifically. In a similar vein, there's another producer out there doing something um, equally interesting. And so there is this uh, Sono 1420. So Sono 1420 is a, a series of whiskeys that are doing something uh, similar. They're not necessarily using hemp seed oil to be able to infuse into their spirits, but what they're doing is they're taking a bourbon mash bill and they are adding in milled hemp seed into their mash bill. And so the the mash bill goes 75% corn, 15% rye, and 10% milled hemp seed. Um, so are we extracting CBD at this point? I don't, I don't know if you can technically call it that based off of is the milled hemp seed adding in the CBD that exists within maybe the actual hemp seed oil that is being used in the Whispick offering? Uh, maybe not, but they're doing the exact same thing with a rye where they're doing a 75% rye, 15% corn, 10% milled hemp seed offering. And then of course, they're also doing <laughs> their own cinnamon whiskey, which is going to be a blend and then a finished at sea. Uh, so they're a finished at sea bourbon that has the hemp seed oil in it as well. Now, how do they come up with this particular name? This name, 1420, is a nod to the distribution of this particular product, the Sono 1420, is expressly limited to the state of Connecticut. And the utilization of this 1420, while might have some connotation around the 420 aspect, it actually has to do with it being a nod to that particular state's Senate to vote 14 to 20 against alcohol prohibition in 1919. And so they're kind of going back in time and saying, hey, this is a thing that a majority of our representatives in our state were against, um, but also picking up that, you know, that same through line of 420. 
will this gain enough traction to become something that everyone else wants to to consume to purchase later on? Uh, not entirely sure. Not entirely sure. Um, but we'll see. You know, this is this is a way that people are able to innovate inside of the whiskey marketplace, but including something that is just as old, if not older, than whiskey in the United States, uh, or at least bourbon in the United States. And one of the last things to sort of toss into this particular episode, this particular discussion, is around Breckenridge Distillery. And if you've been around whiskey for a little while, you have probably have a good idea of who Breckenridge is. They're technically the world's highest distillery. Uh, their location in Colorado has everything to do with that. It's it's a nod to 420, but it's also like legitimately, as far as elevation, the highest distillery. Uh, I think they're sitting at somewhere near 10,000 feet. Um, Breckenridge specifically was has been around since the late 2000s, um, and I guess maybe the 2008, 9, 10, somewhere around that time frame. And it was uh, founded by a doctor who decided he wanted to become a distiller, had an obsession with whiskey. Uh, kind of like a lot of these smaller craft distilleries, there are people that were working in, in other professions and decide, hey, this is a thing that I'm passionate about and I want to, to jump into it. Um, they make a ton of different stuff, rum, vodka, brandy, um, whatever else, you know, basically everything. There's, there's an experience here. But um, Breckenridge has been purchased by a Canadian company. Uh, specifically Tilray. And if you do any investing using Robinhood, you know exactly who these people are. Um, their stocks kind of move around pretty heavily. But they are considered a global cannabis lifestyle and consumer packaged goods company. And so you start asking, like, what does a company that is very heavily invested in the cannabis marketplace have any interest in a distillery in Colorado? Well, it makes some degree of sense if you're interested in making a THC-based product. Um, you're going to have to start in the state of Colorado, and you're not going to be able to necessarily have it taken care of somewhere else. You can't contract distill and you know then infuse later on. Like There's a lot of things that sort of le are left to be handled. But the assumption is that they're looking to make some whiskey and THC um infused products, being able to enter into a marketplace and um, produce something of interest, something that, that folks are into. And, you know, Breckenridge Distillery is a good distillery to purchase to do that with. It's one that has, you know, pretty decent brand recognition and the combination of revenue from a global uh, organization like this, plus the um, startup nature of a craft distiller in the state of Colorado, like all of the, all of the stars aligned to make this a pretty good relationship that could create some really unique offerings. Now, maybe Tilray is not really even interested in a THC whiskey um, relationship. Maybe they're just interested in a brand that has really, really good reputation and has an opportunity to grow beyond its home state of Colorado. As it kind of picks up notoriety, they can just make money off of it. Maybe they're following through with what a lot of other companies are doing is acquiring these um, notable brands that are on their way up. Think about Barstown Bourbon Company more recently and a host of other ones. And just want to make a few dollars off of them. But I can't help but imagine that there's going to be some degree of a partnership that exists um, to, to make something where these two uh, these two concepts merge together. 
Well, this was a quick in and out episode. We'll be probably under 20 minutes for the day. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. The next few weeks are going to be uh, really interesting, I think. We've got a series of interviews, and I hate using that term because I want them to be more like conversations, uh, whether it be two friends talking or two people just getting to know each other. Um, I, that's what I want them to be. But we're going to have, um, it looks like I should have four straight uh, conversations, interviews, whatever you want to call them. Three of them will likely be recorded and then um, edited down and replayed. Uh, they have more to do with the fact that I like to live stream these things. Just I like to live stream these things just so we can get feedback uh, from people as we talk. But these are going to be three of the four are going to be in the middle of the day. And so I'm not really sure if I want to live stream those to YouTube. Um, but we'll be able to talk to over the course of four weeks. We'll be able to talk to uh, a few folks from Mammoth Distilling. Uh, a couple of people from Penelope. Um, we'll be able to talk to Blue Run Spirits, and we'll be able to talk to the subscription service Blind Barrels. Um, it's going to be super fun, and I'm trying to work out a, a, a few other um, interview conversations that we might be able to have with different folks within the industry, whether they be brands, brand representatives, other social media personalities. I really want to have kind of a, a broad reach in who we're talking to. Uh, working on trying to get some some folks on to talk about American Single Malt and get some folks on to talk about Scotch because those are two things that I don't know a ton about and I want people to have the opportunity to learn about them in a place where they don't feel like they're overwhelmed with information. We'll also probably invite some of our friends from social media, whether they be uh, YouTube people, Instagram people, or um, podcast people, to come and join me so we can just talk. I mean, the the, the conversation I had with Perry from um, This Is My Bourbon Podcast and the conversation I had with Morgan from Female Whiskey Society, super fun. Uh, Tim and Jack from you know Monday Night Sucks. That the, these guys, these are always a super super fun conversation. So, if you are watching this as one of those type of people or any other person, if you want to join me, if you want to come on and have a discussion about some particular thing, reach out to me. You know my email address. I've said it in the beginning. I'll say it in the end. You can get a hold of me on social media, wherever, and I am open and I want to have those conversations because I said it uh, last week and I'm going to say it again this week, this concept of Whiskey Church that somebody mentioned about Whiskey Week in Batch 4 has really resonated with me and stuck with me and I can't get past it. Like there's, There's so much correlation between these two concepts in that this is a place to have conversations, to feel safe and to learn more and for us to expand our own learnings about these particular things. So Thanks for listening to my rambling. Thanks for joining me. If you're watching this on the, um, the the replay, I hope you found this entertaining or informative or something. If you did, please leave me a review. Whatever platform that you're on, leave me a review. Leave a comment. Like it. Don't like it. You know, I don't care if it's a good or a bad review. I'd rather just hear from people. Um, I had somebody reach out to me on Instagram and just give me a you know a comment and said, "Hey, I really enjoyed this particular thing," and I'll take that over numbers of downloads and the number you know of hours that have been streamed I don't care about that nearly as much as people saying hey I enjoyed this or I didn't like this give me some feedback give me something um, you can do that you can hit me on Twitter on Instagram 
Um, it is embellished pod in both places. At some point in time, if if my viewership gets high enough, I'll be able to on YouTube. I'll be able to capture the embellished pod URL, custom URL within YouTube. You know, I think I've got you know forty some odd more people to get there, so we're halfway there, um, which is super shocking because I don't really put a ton of effort into YouTube. It's uh, more of I'm already here recording and I've got a camera in front of me just by the nature of how my office is set up. So why not go ahead and stream that? But you can also find me on my website. It is www.embellishpod.com. All of my links, accounts, contact details, there's email addresses in there. There's a ton of stuff. But until next week, I'll be back with another offering. Should be an interview. Um, Cheers, and thanks for hanging out tonight.